What's Good Friends List, episode 55 of the Game Pass Gamecast, coming at you. We're now less than a week away from the highly anticipated Xbox Game Showcase, and the hype is truly palpable. So, this week, we give our predictions for what to expect from Thursday's event, along with checking in and seeing what other members of the industry seem to think as well. Will Halo Infinite's campaign showcase a return to form for one of gaming's greats? Will we finally see the long-rumored Fable reboot be revealed? Will Obsidian's secret project finally see the light of day? We run through it all and set the table for Microsoft's biggest event of the summer. Plus, Microsoft has revealed the secret sauce behind the Xbox Series X, its velocity architecture, which focuses on providing blazing fast load times, smaller file sizes, and much more. But how will this impact game development in both the short and long term for the next console generation? Also, Phil Spencer emphasized that games won't be held back by continuing to support the Xbox One after the launch of the Xbox Series X, but does this commitment have the potential to impact the creative and artistic vision of developers when it comes to forming what their games can be within the breadth of the supported hardware? All of this, and much more, on the newest episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversation around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get a podcast at, follow us, all that jazz, rate us, review us, you know, the whole rigmarole that I give you every week. And follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, video games, like, and our dope giveaways. As always, I'm your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travis, on most internet platforms. Joining me, making its triumphant return to the Game Pass Gamecast, Adam Marshy Marsh. Adam, what's good? What's going on? And what have you been playing? The most important thing, but catch us up. What's been going on with you lately? Uh, you know, how's life been? And, you know, catch us up on what's been going on in the life of Adam Marshy Marsh, man. It's been pretty good. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be back on the show. Um, <clears throat> I'd love to tell you all about, you know, every game I've played since <laughs> I've last been on the show, but we'd be In here. like three or four months, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'd be here all day. So I'll just keep it brief. Uh, last couple of days I've been playing some Halo 3 on MCC. Well, just Hell today yeah, and yesterday because it only just came out. <laughs> A little bit of that. I've been playing some RimWorld. And um, yeah, that's about it for right now. Nice, nice. So I haven't had a chance to, outside of the Insider build, um, to jump into Halo 3. I haven't played any of the campaign. I haven't done anything uh, mm -hmm. outside of the final build within MCC. How are you feeling with it? PPAC had a lot of a lot of positive things to say about it in terms of shot registry and, uh, you know, the multiplayer component of it. But, you know, what from more of, you know, a casual fan's perspective, how do you feel going into it? How do you feel... The final build came out, and how's it feel to play on PC after you know playing that game for so many years on console? Well, being a gamepad player, I I tried mouse and keyboard once when MCC mm -hmm. first came out, and I said no to that. I'm right there um, with you. <laughs> everything feels almost exactly as it should. Playing on mm -hmm. PC with a controller feels just as good now 
as it did on Xbox back in the day. Mm-hmm. The only issues I've had with campaign were a couple of audio glitches where voice lines would not play. Mm-hmm. That happened a couple times, but it was maybe only two or three times throughout my whole... Like, I, I played the whole campaign on Heroic the last two days. So. Nice. Other than that, everything feels great. I haven't gotten to play much multiplayer yet, but now that campaign is done, I'll probably be hopping back into that. Mm-hmm. Also, I thought the... Um, I don't know if you looked at it yet, but the the new season rewards look pretty interesting. They're all customizations for your Halo CE stuff. Really? I didn't see that. So yeah, you can unlock like visor colors and uh, weapon skins now for Halo CE. No shit. That is awesome. I am now really, really wanting to jump into that. I, I updated the game, yeah, what's today? Wednesday, so yesterday, mm-hmm. whenever it dropped. Um, didn't get a chance to play it, didn't get a chance to play today, um, just because I've been busy with a bunch of stuff with work and life and shit like that. I can't do the important things like play video games for the past little bit, so, um, so but, goes from time to time. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that makes me really excited because I'm a huge fan of Halo CE in terms of the multiplayer and whatnot with that, uh, playing it on MCC and especially on mm-hmm. PC. I love jumping into having... Always wanting that legitimate form of online multiplayer for CE outside of, you know, the backdoor uh, private, you know, connection Xbox ways. Xbox Connect. Yeah, that's, that's it. Xbox Connect. I couldn't remember. Like, the Xbox Live official version of that. Um, so, MCC has always, you know, kind of filled that void for me with that. But I love yeah. playing CE. I have a soft spot in my heart. I get really pissed off with it because of the way... It, it handles spawns and stuff, and it's just not built to play a multi as a online multiplayer competitive game, really, yeah. in the sense that it's you know released. But it is what it is. I love the game, and that makes me really excited though that they're adding more customization. And that makes me excited for Infinite too. That seeing the amount of customization they're putting towards back catalog titles that never had that before makes me really think. Okay, they're something big's going to happen in terms of what you're going to be able to do. There's going to be reasons why I want to keep coming back into that game, you know, to like you were saying with the season unlocks with things like that. So that's dope. That's really dope. I'm, I'm really excited to jump in there. I, like I said, I haven't had a chance to get in there and check it out yet on my end. Um, been playing a lot of overwatch again. Um, I don't know why I had the itch to jump back in. Um, maybe it's cause I've been slowly streaming again the past couple of nights and Overwatch is a really, I don't want to say it's a relaxed game to get into, but it's a game that if I want to play competitively, I can, if I want to kind of dick around, I can, it's, it's very loose because usually whenever I'm playing on stream, I'll play some comp games, but in terms of, I I want the best connection since I'm I'm streaming and best performance, I'm streaming from one PC playing and streaming from one PC. So, you know, I, I want to have the best performance to be able to play in a comp game. So usually I'm playing quick play that I could turn it on, turn it off whenever I want in terms of wanting to be serious, but also kind of mess around and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's a good game that I could just turn on play and then bullshit with chat, do anything like that, which has been really cool to see a lot of people, a lot of, uh, you know, listeners jumping in to chat recently. Um, that's been really dope getting to talk video games with everyone um outside of that though i'm trying to think really what else i've played i've played a few games of valorant but i mean to be quite honest i i've very much weaned off of valorant um just because of 
it's just it's just a fucking downer anytime you get in there um it's a riot game you know it's it's the same level of toxicity i've found in league over the years that's why i've never really stayed too long in league anytime i played it um you know mm-hmm. so and especially too if i'm trying to stream it's it's i love the format of valorant because i i have such a soft spot in my heart for cs so i do like streaming it i do like playing it but I I can't really stream it just because I'm worried that, hey, somebody in voice chat is just going to be an asshole and, you know, drop something they probably shouldn't drop and, you know, TOS will be out my ass. So, um, but yeah, outside of that, just kind of playing a lot of live service games. I finished Portal 2, I think, last week for the first time since really launch of that game. So, um, oh, yeah, God, I love that game. It's just it literally portal one was one of my favorite games for the longest time um and i played it i got into that game late whenever really it came to out on the orange box um and i played it on 360 i believe is what i yeah 360 and um you know so i didn't i played the first one late then getting into making sure i jumped into portal 2 kind of that taking that formula and completely blowing the doors off of it and rebuilding what a game like that can be with the environmental storytelling it does so well. Valve's writing is always just ridiculously good. Um, you know, so it's, it just makes me want another portal game that I know we probably won't get anytime soon. Um, knowing Valve would have to make a third game. Yeah. I mean, and I would, I would kill to have a new portal game. I'd kill to have a portal three. Um, but just there Valve's Valve's, outlook on their business and their approach to business right now is just completely different from then from 2011 to now that you know it's we should be happy even if you don't play in vr you should be happy that half and life alex is out so um but yeah that's pretty much it on my end nothing really too crazy right now um we've got a couple of games coming up this weekend that i'm excited for like ghost of tsushima but that's a playstation game so i don't necessarily want to get into that and paper mario looks dope too but i don't know if i'm gonna necessarily jump on that one right away but adam let's get into butt mash first we're gonna go over some quick hit news stories here before we dive into our big scale topics here starting off with ubisoft forward ubisoft's e3 alternate event their direct style event that they hold uh, Ubisoft Forward happened this past Sunday where we saw new gameplay and release dates for Watch Dogs Legion, which is launching on October 29th, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is launching on November 11th as well. The launch of Hyperscape, the new battle royale that Ubisoft came out with, their open beta launch day and date, you know, that day, uh, and you can get in on the action now. I played a few games. It's okay. It's a battle royale. They're trying something new with a battle royale, and... It's more of the same for the most part, in my opinion. Um, but it is what it is. If you like that stuff, cool, jump into it. Um, and we also saw the announcement of Far Cry 6, which leaked a little bit earlier in the week with Juan Carlo Esposito of Breaking Bad fame and a lot of other things. But Breaking Bad's a, I'm a big, huge Breaking Bad fan, so that's what I know him, you know, most prolifically from. Uh, and it will launch on February 18th, 2021. Ubisoft also announced that the, there will be another Ubisoft Forward event, and it will be an ongoing uh, you know, event with a new installment taking place later this year. Speaking of Ubisoft as well, a report suggests that the gaming giant is rebooting its pirate IP, Skull and Bones, uh, more from a simulation experience to a live game model uh, with ongoing storytelling akin to that found in like Fortnite. Um, and really, obviously, just from that report, very Sea of Thieves vibes, if 
you know, I, I feel very inclined to say that. Um, Crystal Dynamics announced that Marvel's Avengers will be holding its first public beta to those who pre-order the game, starting with PS4 pre-orders on August 7th, followed by Xbox and PC on August 14th, while the beta does go open to everyone on PS4 that same day, followed by everyone having access all around on all support platforms on August 21st. They also announced that there will be a new War Table, their direct style event for the game, that will take place on July 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Activision has patched Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Warzone to change a name of a skin that was available in-game that was rightfully controversial from Border War to Home on the Range. So, uh, if you are wondering why you don't have that skin anymore, check around. It's now named different. <laughs> Uh, Skate Skater XL has a new release date on July 28th after a slight delay. Nothing really crazy out there. Konami has clarified that Pro Evolution Soccer 21 will be getting a cheaper standalone release this year, while 2022 is being built from the ground up using the Unreal Engine compared to Konami's long-running Fox Engine of Kojima fame. So, pretty much we're seeing the trend of a lot of large-scale AAA games going and using the Unreal Engine and you know compared to designing their own engine and tool set really so super hot mind control delete the new standalone entry from the super hot series is releasing on july 16th and if you purchase the original game you'll be able to snag it for free though if you did get it via you know xbox games with gold or you know twitch prime something like that you will be ineligible for the freebie you gotta buy it sorry ea sports ufc 4 was revealed and will be releasing on august 14 2024 xbox one and ps4 no word if ea will honor next gen upgrades or backwards compatibility on either next gen system though with the way they're handling madden and whatnot you're probably going to get like maybe like a two-month window to upgrade that at the very most. Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator is launching on August 18th on PC and will be available day one on Xbox Game Pass for PC. Speaking of that, to round it up here, new games coming to Xbox Game Pass. We got Four Rager on PC and Xbox Series Ova on PC and console, if I can talk there, coming on the 16th of this month, Mountain Blade Warblade on, or Warband on console on the 16th as well this month, Carry On on PC and console on the 23rd, Golf With Your Friends on PC on the 23rd, big fan of that game, I know you are too, Adam, Grounded, the preview build is coming to PC and um, console, that's the game from Obsidian, their side project there, that's coming on the 28th to Game Pass, Nowhere Profit coming to both console and PC on the 30th, The Tourist coming to PC and console as well on the 30th, and the real big game, I would say, from this batch of new games that are coming, Yakuza Kiwami 2 is coming to PC and console Game Pass on the 30th as well. Uh, just a reminder too, leaving, games leaving Game Pass on the 31st, Ashes Cricket on console, Rhyme both on console and PC, and Banner Saga 3 on console and PC. So, Adam, running through that before we head into our big scale news this week in our discussion, anything stick out to you? What kind of caught your attention with, you know, some of the maybe a little bit smaller things going on throughout the industry this week. I was a little surprised to see Warband on there coming to Game Pass. That game's been out forever. Um, <laughs> I know but, you're you a know, big fan I, of Mountain Blade. I love that game. I've sunk so many hours into it. <laughs> Carry On, I, if I'm remembering correctly, this is like a reverse horror game where you are the monster. Oh, I'm um, all about that. <laughs> I played the demo when it was first released a while back, and I was really impressed by that. So looking <laughs> forward to Carry On. What else? Golf with your friends. 
Yakuza games have always seemed to me, this is the last one I'll comment on, mm-hmm. they've always seemed so... I don't know how to describe it. Like, they seem really fascinating, and, like, I could definitely get into it. Mm-hmm. It seems like an alternate kind of Grand Theft Auto, very off-the-wall kind of, a lot of variety, mm-hmm. uh, almost like a slapstick type of... I was going to say, it's very, aesthetic. like, almost caricature, almost, of yeah. that style of, like, a Grand Theft Auto, like, satirical, almost, to a degree. But Yes, exactly. And it seems like it'd be a lot of fun, so... I've heard, know, maybe... nothing, I've heard nothing but good things about Yakuza games. Maybe this will be the one that I finally hop in just because it's, you know, coming to Game Pass. The first one, I believe, both Kiwami 1 and Yakuza 0, I believe, are both on Game Pass right now on PC mm. 2, which is kind of crazy. Um, I remember I picked up Kiwami 1 on PS4, I think. It was at, like, Best Buy for, like, $5. And I was like, you know what? I'll try it. I've heard good things about it. Never got around to playing it. But, like, I see so many people that I'm friends with online and whatnot praise the yakuza series so i'm itching to get back into it and from what i hear yuck uh kiwami one is the remake of the first game in the series so okay. that may be a good jumping point in plus in a couple weeks got kiwami 2 coming to game pass so game pass keeps killing it man i mean i i haven't talked about it as much the past you know couple months really because we've been focusing on next gen stuff popping up whatnot but uh, Game Pass, man, they just keep adding more and more stuff, and as you see, three games go away, oh god, type of thing. So, it just keeps getting better and better with value. Some of the stuff on there, eh, but you really want to, if you're into the Xbox ecosystem, you're buying in for those first-party titles and things like that. But really, uh, outside of the new games coming to Game Pass, uh, the Ubisoft event, I was a little underwhelmed with it, personally. Um you know, we didn't see, I was hoping to see Gods and Monsters, the Breath of the Wild inspired take on an open world, or open air, I should say, kind of action adventure title uh, like Breath of the Wild. It's very, I mean, just looking at it is very inspired by that alone. Um, so really ins- hoping to see more of that. Um, beyond good, uh, yeah, beyond good and evil two, we still didn't see anything with that. Again, that's been gone now for what, two years. I think that might be in development hell. Um, you know, so, but it's good to also know that we're seeing more and more publishers say, Hey, you know, compared to just one blowout, why don't we try to own multiple days of the, you know, multiple days throughout the year that we can push our message compared to it one blowout so you know having another ubisoft forward event is never a bad thing i like ubisoft i personally think they've been the best third-party developer knock on wood um this generation with how they've handled assassin's creed how they've kind of transformed a little bit of far cry their open world games seem to be while checklisty at times and a little you know a to b-esque they still provide you with an asinine amount of content at launch not behind a paywall so if you ask me, they've been doing it pretty damn well. So, Adam, let's kick it into our first news article of the day. Um, really, more so, this was from last week, but I wanted to save it towards this week, as this will be kind of our predictions episode for the Xbox Game Showcase that's coming up next week, which we will be recording right after that on Thursday, fresh off of that. We're going to look into trying to, Mike and I trying to stream that, see what, you know, what our schedule's like next week, but we're definitely going to be recording right, recording right after that, fresh takes, 
we're gonna it's really i'm really excited this is gonna be such a big event so um but this comes from jeff grubb over on venture to beat he has really kind of a what to expect guide um and this like i said from last week but i wanted to wait till this week as it kind of naturally flows us into that so uh as always link in the description to all these articles go over there give jeff a click give everyone a click that we read here today because a lot of the stuff we are pulling right from there so make sure you give them a click Microsoft finally announced the date for its upcoming Xbox Series X first-party game showcase. The event will be broadcast at 9 a.m. Pacific on July 23rd. This is the first opportunity for Xbox Game Studio teams to show off their next-gen projects. Developer 343 Industries has already confirmed that it will show up with Halo Infinite, specifically their campaign. Uh, But what else does Xbox boss Phil Spencer have to win you over? Let's try to find out. First, let's put the Xbox showcase into context. This is part of the monthly Xbox 2020 events, which started back in May with Microsoft's smaller third-party focused inside Xbox. Xbox ended up skipping June because it pushed its Xbox Series S lost... Ah, if I can talk, oh my god. Xbox Series S Lockhart reveal to August. But it is also... It is all part of what Microsoft would have originally debuted at E3 before organizers canceled the trade show. Microsoft continues to emphasize that it has 15 studios working on games. While all of them are working on projects, developers like Mojang are likely not to have anything new to show. But you should still expect to see a majority of these teams show up in one form or another. Rumors continue to suggest that Playground Games is working on a Fable reboot. Playground is best known for producing the Forza's Forza Horizon games with Turn 10 Studios, but now Microsoft fully owns the company, and it paid to open a second Playground Studios that is working on an open-world action-adventure game. Whether this is Fable or not does not really matter to me. Even if it is, I expect it to act as a clean reboot. What matters to me is Playground Games. That studio has continually crushed the Forza Horizon games, and I'm really or I'm ready to see the studio take on an open world on foot. In... Uh, in addition to acquiring existing studios, Microsoft also st- Microsoft also started a new team in Santa Monica called The Initiative. The company built this studio specifically to bring in talent to create marquee games with massive budgets. But don't expect to see the f- fruits of their labor just yet. I know some rumors suggest The Initiative's game is going to be going to debut at the Xbox Games Showcase, but that's not the case. Microsoft is holding it back. It may, it might seem like a mistake to hold back anything when you're launching a new console, but it seems unlikely that the game is ready. The initiative only got started in 2018. It was hiring its staff throughout 2019. If this team is really, really is working on a next-gen blockbuster, that's the kind of thing that you can take four or five years before it's ready to ship. And Microsoft is probably feeling like it has enough games to get through the launch of the Xbox Series X. Let's quickly run down some of the other Xbox studios. Halo Infinite is launching on Xbox Series X, so it's likely going to take up a significant portion of the event. We know that World's Edge is working on Age of Empires 4. Adam, I'm sure you're happy about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Double Fun is uh, sprucing up Psychonauts 2 with all of its Microsoft money. In Exile is doing the same thing for Wasteland 3, which releases on August 28th. But In Exile is also working on a bigger budget game in the Unreal 5 engine. Ninja Theory will definitely show more of Hellblade 2. Turn 10 could have a Forza game because you can't launch a console without a car game. And Rare may have something new in the works as well. But don't expect anything from the Coalition, which just released Gears 5 in 2019. I'm expecting the Xbox Games Showcase to live up to the title. Microsoft is going to primarily focus on games. But that doesn't mean only first-party games. And it's also bringing in third-party partners. That probably doesn't mean Final Fantasy 16 from Square Enix, though. Sony is probably trying to lock that down one down with Final Fantasy VII Remake under their belt already. 
When it comes to third-party reveals, maybe this is where Activision finally shows off the next Call of Duty. Maybe Rockstar brings Red Dead Redemption 2, like it brought GTA 5 to the PlayStation event. When it comes to hardware, don't expect to hear anything about Lockhart. Microsoft is saving that for August. The Xbox Series S could confuse Microsoft's messaging, so the company is going to explain that one on its own next month. Microsoft is unlikely to share pricing details at this showcase. The timing for that is almost certainly when it's or certainly when it unveils Lockhart in August. That's when Spencer and his team will lay out the final details of their strategy. Until then, save your money for pre-orders. So, whew, lot to run through there. Uh, really good write-up by Jeff Grubb. He's been awesome during what he calls Summer Games Mess compared to Fest this summer with everyone changing dates and the world just going to hell in a handbasket as it was pushing all dates around. So he's done a great job covering all of that. So really the Xbox game showcase is point blank. It's hands down the biggest moment for Microsoft in 2020 in terms of marketing the Xbox series X and giving you reasons that you should invest in their ecosystem with their new console. So we've heard what Jeff thinks is going to happen at the show. Now it's our turn. Adam, give me your predictions for the Xbox game showcase. What are you hoping to see? What games that are already confirmed to already be there, are you looking forward to seeing more from? You know, what do you think they need to steer clear of on how they present these games? You know, what does Microsoft have to do to knock this out of the park, point blank? Since Mike's not here, I think I have to start with the obvious. Well, they yeah. need to knock it out of the park with Halo Infinite. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really... I haven't been plugged into the news cycle lately with Xbox, so... Mm-hmm. Anything that we haven't already gone over, I don't know if I could say, oh, I hope this shows up or that. Like mm-hmm. we have we have confirmations and uh clear refute re- refutations. I'm not sure what the opposite word to that is. <laughs> but words they're hard generally stuff, what's you know? gonna be there. And Halo is definitely top priority, right? Mm-hmm. Three four three is reinventing the series and taking it back to a more, I guess, a classic approach is what they've said they were going with. I mean, you could see it in the art direction from the 2019 trailer. Chief looking more like himself and less like he did in the other 343 Halos. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to have to show some good gameplay. They're going to have to show um, that... You know, they're bringing their A game with the multiplayer. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, real, been... realistically, Halo Infinite is, I wouldn't even say, it's clearly its clearly the franchise's biggest and most important launch to date. I would say, yeah. you know, since Halo CE, but there were no expectations with Halo CE. There are with this, but more importantly, and I kind of talked about this a little bit last week, I believe it was last week on the show, but I didn't emphasize it as much. I think... Halo Infinite is the most important Microsoft game, Xbox game, really, to launch ever in terms of Xbox's lineage because of how much is riding on. Not only Halo, the franchise, really being, I don't want to say dead because we've seen we've seen it stay on life support. We've seen it gain, you know, gain a little traction, MCC coming to PC, seeing huge numbers out of MCC on Steam specifically. Um, and it sold really well. Halo is fresh in people's mind, but it's very obvious that fans, I think, overall want a more classical Halo experience. They want something that 
did what Halo, the first three games did, in, in Reach to an extent, but more so the original three Bungie games, because those games set themselves apart from every other franchise that was in the FPS genre. It, mm-hmm. You know, it traditionally the way you started all from a multiplayer standpoint first, you started everybody started on level playing grounds, no loadouts. We're talking, you know, everybody's standard weapons. There's power weapons around the map. It was a very traditional experience, but it still differentiated itself from the fast-paced, you know, agility-based Call of Duty that was more twitch shooting where Halo was a little bit more methodical, but it wasn't overtly tactical that anybody could go and hand their little brother a controller and say, hey, hop in here. Let's 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 play, you know, 2v2s or something. Get the neighbor right. kids over here. So it, it was always it always differentiated itself very well from the Call of Duties from, I mean, of that time, Time Splitters and, you know, Far Cry and things like that that, you know, on console tried to replicate what they did kill zone even on the playstation side you know it's but what it needs to do for this system is really insurmountable in my opinion that you're coming off of a console generation where for i would say at least half of it microsoft one got their fucking shit kicked in left and right (laughs) i mean and, and this is somebody who you know i like we said whenever we kind of started this podcast We've all grown up around Xbox. We've all grown up around... We all play on pretty much every platform imaginable at this point. You know, I, Adam and I both play on PS4, PC, Switch, all that. We all own these consoles. But Xbox has always been that Venn diagram. And so whether they're winning, losing at stupid console wars or whatever, I'm still... I still care about that brand. I still want to see that brand succeed because that's only best for the industry as a whole because it just gives more opportunity to more developers to make more experiences and get these games into more households. So to me, though, after coming off of getting your shit kicked in for, you know, what, three years in a row, finally getting some leeway, getting some traction with Xbox Game Pass, putting all first-party titles day and date on there, having people get into this system at a lower price point at a more affordable way also having that pc approach of hey here's this huge upscale you know beefy system that will sell you at 500 dollars if you want it it'll play all your you know triple a third party games at the highest rate possible at native 4k with the xbox series or the uh, xbox one x you know so it gave options to gamers first and foremost and then going to pc so the xbox brand is on a rise but it needs something you got to look at halo infinite as man this is the coming out party this is the if if halo rekindles what people loved about microsoft loved about halo the rest is gravy i mean that the system will sell itself but it needs to be able to do that even if it does like with it launching on pc day and date as well on game pass like i think that is brilliant because microsoft's messaging is hey they're we don't care where you play our games as long as you're playing our games. We just want you playing them. We don't care if you play on Xbox One, which the game's going to launch on, whether it's an S, an X, or whatever, the Series X, the supposed Series S model, you know, the mid-grade model, on your PC. We don't care. On your fucking phone with xCloud. Like, it doesn't matter. We just want you playing our games. That all starts with Halo Infinite. And if they get off to a bad start with that game and that flounders, that messaging the importance of selling this, hey, we actually have exclusives now. We've been investing in studios to make it, 
these exclusive games to combat the amount of ridiculously good stuff that Sony has put out from their first party exclusives. It just kind of all flounders. That, that was kind of a tangent, but like, I think it's important to say that like, in, I think that infinite is so much bigger than a lot of people think, whether to the whole gaming, like to the whole gaming stratosphere of Microsoft that, you know, I don't want to say, I don't think Microsoft will ever bow out of the console market because they still, even though, Microsoft didn't sell as well this, you know, console generation. They still sold good. They still made a lot of money off of it. Like, they still made billions of dollars off of the system compared to, you know, while Sony sold 100 plus million units. Yeah, they didn't do that, but they still did really fucking well. So I don't see them ever bowing out to the console market, but I just think Halo Infinite's ridiculously important. Um, you know, my the big thing that I want to see outside, take Halo Infinite out, it's got to crush it. It's got to, I, I have a feeling it's going to go somewhat open world or at least very open air to its levels, very akin to Halo 1 almost, where you're seeing large scale open environments to go through these levels. But I still feel it's going to have some, you know, it's going to have some open world elements, even like Gears 5, where it was kind of like that. But also, too, I think it's going to have some RPG mechanics potentially in it, too, like we've seen with Doom, the new Doom series. So, um, But outside of Halo, one of the things that I really, really, I finally expect us to see is this Fable reboot. We've been hearing about it for like a year and a half. Eurogamer all but confirmed it, saying, hey, that's what they're working on. We can't tell you because we'll burn a lot of bridges, but that's what they're doing. Um so it's, to me, playing, I've never been a Forza guy necessarily, but I played Horizon, the latest one, and it takes a lot for me to get into a racing game, but like I put probably 10 hours into it, which is 10 hours more than I'd probably put in any racing game outside of fucking Mario Kart. So like, if they're doing that in the way they have that basically as an open world car game to me i fully trust what they can do with something like that at least from the environmental point of it now who knows if it's you know gonna hold up as an rpg itself but i don't know what do you adam what are you expecting from this supposed you know rebooted fable like what do you what would you expect from i know we talked about it you know episodes long ago you know almost a year now if not over a year ago but like what do you think a Fable game would have to do in 2020 or 2021, this gen coming up, to really succeed? You know, is it going to still be a Fable game if it's incorporating all of these, you know, modern RPG tropes that we see? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. The, the things that I always associated with Fable were the fact that it always felt a little bit sandboxy, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was always you can do at least two different things. Yeah. <laughs> um, by that, I mean, you know, they had the morality system. Um, they had branching stories and quests. And they, there was always at least as much side content as there was a main storyline. Mm -hmm. So I think for those things, um, those are kind of requirements for a Fable game. As far as modern um, innovations in an RPG... I would like to see them maybe experiment. I know a lot of MMOs do this, and I don't play a lot of MMOs, but friends that I have that do, 
really enjoy player homes. And I feel like that's one thing that could slot down into a Fable game really well. Like, hey, we have this mini game and it's just customize your house. And I think Fable, I can't remember if it was two or three, had a pretty interesting like house building um, or like a player home. I think it was two. I think. Okay. Yeah, I think it was two. It was one that I played with Mike a lot. Well, and, no, um, maybe it was one then. Because I know <laughs> one, couldn't you, like, completely, like, fuck the economy in the first game? You could, yeah. Like, <laughs> you could you could murder townspeople and then buy their property, rent it out, <laughs> and just, like, it. become the ur-landlord of all of the <laughs> land. But <laughs> I forgot about that. But there wasn't a lot of customization in the first game. I think mm. maybe you could put up trophies and that was it. Mm. Um, but it would be interesting to see kind of, like, a like a more like build out your furniture or, or maybe there would even tie in like resource gathering and crafting. That's something mm-hmm. that I feel like a lot of RPGs have nowadays. Um, so, you know, going out, gathering some shit while you're questing and, Oh, now all of a sudden you have this like cool material to use to build your house. I mean, mm-hmm. Skyrim has player housing and I don't know. Every it's, it's like every RPG anymore has those, yeah, you know, it has those. I, what do you even want to call them? Sim aspects, I guess, of it, where it's yeah, like... and that, that's really, I guess, what I wanted to get at here is like Fable to me has always felt like an extension of almost the Sims design philosophy of like mm-hmm. it. It was really less about mechanical mastery or competition or role playing so much as just like player expression. Mm-hmm. And it always kind of, because we've seen, we've seen so many games now take the, so many systems from Fable and RPGs of that era, where you look at, you know, Red Dead now, both one and two, the, uh, what is it, the morality system that's in there. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's found in so many games, but really Fable being one of the first games that, like, I remember playing and being like, oh shit, if I kill that person... I'm gonna I'm gonna get shit on for a while. Like my life is going to drastically change in this game. Um yeah. where you rarely saw that in so many games, but now so many things that set Fable apart from its like its competitors back in the day or its peers, now you see that it's just, you know, second nature. So I'm just curious to see how it's how a new Fable game can survive in this landscape not survive but like find its own because i i fully i fully trust somebody like playground games like i said from building the world that you live in because surprisingly for a forza game and a car game there's a lot to do in an open world car game like i was shocked to playing that being like oh wow there's some depth to this um you know granted still not my cup of tea necessarily but you could tell, like, real recognizes real. Like, whenever you see... I, I'll always point out, like, if somebody's doing something well, and it just may not click with me, like, it deserves all the praise. Like, Playground Games deserves all the praise that it gets. And I'm so happy that Microsoft now owns them. Um, but with that Microsoft money, with knowing that, hey, we know what moves consoles, we know what gets gamers into our ecosystem, and that's first-party exclusives, and that's good first-party exclusives. So... Um, you know, I fully, I fully envision that they're going to be fine. I, I, I'm really interested to see what that game is though, and what's going to make that different than, you know, we haven't, we're not going to get an Elder Scrolls game anytime soon. You know, six isn't going to come for another 
probably four years or so. So, okay, mm-hmm. what other RPGs are out there? What are going to fill that, con- even just from a console perspective, what are going to fill those, you know, high fantasy RPG uh, holes that are out there? So it'll be interesting. Um, really outside of that, the fab- Fable's the big one that I just want to see finally get revealed. I'd love to see, I'd love to see some kind of third-party partnership, but not exclusivity because I, I think it's far too early to announce. And I know you were saying you've been kind of outside of the news cycle, but have you heard about um, Microsoft being interested in acquiring WB games? No, I hadn't seen that. So WB game, AT&T is interested in selling off WB games and its studios under that wing. Rocksteady, um, uh, Avalanche Studios, uh, Monolith, the people who made... Um, Shadow of War. Yeah, Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor. um, Mm -hmm. uh, The people who are working on the not released yet or not officially revealed Harry Potter RPG. um, Clearly, obviously, Rocksteady with the Batman titles. A lot of people in the Netherrealm with Mortal Kombat. So a lot of people, a lot of bigger publishers like EA, Take-Two, Activision are interested in buying them. Microsoft supposedly now has their hat in there. I think it's far too early to hear from that if that's actually a thing, unless they get this shit signed soon. But the asking price is like four billion dollars, so I fully don't expect anything that quick to turn around with you know a four billion dollar uh, transaction. I mean, we're talking you know maybe not to that extent, but we're getting into the realm of Disney acquiring Fox type of thing. So you know deals like that take months, and you know I don't think we'll hear anything from it then, but. Who the hell knows? Shady backdoor deal, backdoor deals happen all the time, so you never know. Um, but I'd like to see some kind of. We've seen PlayStation have a lot of third-party exclusivity things in terms of. You know, I'm not a. I don't want to say I'm a big fan of them, but I'd like to get. I I want to see more people get into the Xbox ecosystem, and I think that's a good way to do it by, you know, like Bungie last uh, this past console generation with Destiny. Hey, if you play on PlayStation, you're getting access to the new raid a month early before everyone else if you're on playstation so you know things like that to get those live service players you know who are playing games like destiny like red dead online gta online things like that get them into that you know the microsoft ecosystem kind of build it up from there but i'd like to see something like that and i mean we're gonna have surprises obsidian's going to be there showing something that isn't grounded from what I've heard, so and supposedly it's a new RPG, shocker, coming from one of the best RPG developers out there. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, hopefully, seeing something from Age of Empires four, even though I'm not a huge Age of Empires person, I'm just so happy that that franchise is no longer dormant, and we're seeing the definitive editions come out. Mike's been a huge fan of it. You're a huge fan of it. Um, mm-hmm. Are you excited to see more from four? Yeah, uh, just this very brief trailer they showed a little while back got me mm-hmm. real excited. So, yeah, looking to get some more details on that one. Yeah, definitely. It'll be it'll be an interesting showcase. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely the most important important marketing push and moment for Xbox heading into next gen uh, because they just Phil Spencer has been very clear about we know what we didn't have this generation that's exclusive games that's reasons to get into this ecosystem outside of man it sure looks pretty you know playing assassin's creed odyssey it's you know maybe a fourth of the resolution higher than on playstation but playstation has the last of us uncharted uh days gone 
Ghost of Tsushima, like all these huge exclusive titles that are coming out, you know, really hoping to see more of games like Hellblade 2, because Hellblade 2 looks fucking phenomenal. You know, reasons to get into that ecosystem. So I'm excited for that showcase. Really fucking cannot wait. So it, it, it's going to be it's going to be a com- fun. It's going to be a fun couple of months coming up here. But this week, I think it's going to be really fun. There's going to be some surprises that I've heard, too. So fingers crossed. But Adam, let's move into the next one here. Xbox Series X velocity architecture should mean smaller game file sizes, less loading, and more. This comes from Joe Scrabbles over on IGN. As always, link in the description. Xbox Series X velocity architecture design should make for smaller game downloads, fewer loading bottlenecks, and theoretically allows for the console to achieve performance beyond what's expected of its raw 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 hardware my god i shouldn't have drank coffee before i started talking i think that's whenever i get caught in mouth in a post on xbox newswire xbox series x director of program management jason ronald explained how the velocity architecture solution works alongside the console's processor to offer huge improvements over current gen technology and even over what could originally have been expected of the base series x components as ronald puts it if our customers If our custom design processor is at the heart of the Xbox Series X, the Xbox Velocity architecture is the soul. Ronald points to four hardware and software innovations that make up Velocity architecture as a whole. The Xbox Series X SSD allows for 40 times the I.O. throughput, essentially the amount of data transferred the console allows every second of the Xbox One, but has been designed not to drop in performance below a certain level. Essentially, developers can design the games without having to work around data transfer constraints by, for instance, introducing loading tunnels that we've seen in open-world games this generation. Series X uses both an industry-standard LZ decompressor and a uh, proprietary algorithm designed specifically for decompressing game texture data, typically the large portions of overall game sizes. The results should be that storage size and download download times per game are reduced. This new addition to the DirectX family of APIs gives developers control over how they want to assign and prioritize IO tasks in the game. According to Ronald, this should virtually eliminate load times and make fast travel systems actually fast. Games regularly use different qualities of textures depending on how far you are from them. You'll often notice that that an open world game's trees are low quality from a distance and high quality up close, for instance. No matter how much of those textures are shown, current gen games will need to load the entire texture in the background. SFS allows uh, textures to be loaded in portions, meaning the IO load is reduced and can be used elsewhere to create more detail-packed worlds. These four elements combined should, according to Ron, allow the Series X to go beyond what's expected of its own hardware components, even enabling entirely new scenarios never before considered possible in gaming, unquote. Quote, the Xbox Velocity architecture fundamentally rethinks how a developer can take advantage of the hardware provided by the Series X. uh, Continues Ronald. From entirely new rendering techniques to the virtually elimination of load times to larger, more dynamic living worlds where you as a gamer, you can choose how you want to explore. We can't be more excited by the early results we are already seeing. End quote. So, Adam, for months now, hell, almost, you know, a year now with leaks and whatnot, Microsoft has kind of set the table as to why the Series X will be pushing the needle with what can be achieved on the console hardware. But 
for the most part, it's been shown in a very PC spec heavy way, really, until now. The Velocity Architecture is the first true hardware software feature, quote unquote feature, if you want to call it that, that really shows both consumers and developers why this platform, both playing on and developing on, is important and why you want to get in there. So, you know, Adam, from a development standpoint, how will this help developers on, you know, a ground level basis? And do you think this is something we will see as consumers the fruits of the labor, you know, from sooner or later, or will this be something that us gamers really won't see the advantages of until the generation is well underway after devs continue to get more experience with this hardware? It's always, uh, it's always a kind of a toss up when exactly developers will start pushing the absolute limits of a console. And I think it's getting harder and harder every generation because the ceiling is so high. Like, there's a lot you could do on modern hardware, um, you know, besides ridiculous things like just putting an absurd number, like a billion objects on the screen at one time, the limitations and, and the ceiling on game consoles and PC hardware now is pretty high as far as games go. Mm-hmm. I think with more unique features like velocity architecture, um, this kind of reminds me a little bit of the Unreal 5 engine demo. Mm-hmm. Really, what this is going to do is make developers' jobs easier and, and allow them to deliver more content, to, to squeeze more mileage out of the hardware. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's going to translate into better games, but what it also might just mean is that we're going to get the same quality of games that we would have gotten otherwise, but they're going to be able to be developed faster they're going to be able to be developed more cheaply. Um, so I don't know if we're exactly going to like notice the effect like, wow, if they didn't have velocity architecture, they probably couldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those behind the scenes things, and I'm sure it will have a knock on effect. It might help smaller developers achieve uh, things that they would normally not be able to do without more budget, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, definitely. And it always, it almost reminds me of the antithesis, if I can say that, of what was going on between the N64 and PlayStation 1 back in the day, where, you know, that transition from cartridge-based games to disc-based games, where people loved cartridge-based games because the load times were, boom, they were so fast, you were able to get into games, get out, but... They were so limited on capacity, uh, you know, but going to disc-based games, you were able to jam a ton of content on a disc for, you know, probably a much cheaper price at that point, too, I would at least imagine, compared to the actual production cost of a cartridge. But at the same time, you were limited on, you know, load times weren't as good, and, you know, you were only able to do FMV comparative to in-game cutscenes and things like that, but... At the same time, though, you look at this, it's almost flipped where really you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. You're getting the speed that, you know, out of you would saw back in the day with cartridge based games where load times are almost eliminated. You're able to walk into one room and not worry about, you know, I always think of, you know, the 360 with Oblivion or Skyrim even where you walk, you know, anywhere you go. If you leave a town or if you leave even just a house, there's a loading screen for 30 seconds. Where Mm -hmm. stuff like this, with this 
um, you know, velocity architecture, you're eliminating a lot of that. And the SSD helps with that drastically. But, you know, this is so much more than that that we're seeing outside of that. And it's almost, you know, where you're hearing of the PS5's SSD being, you know, next level. And it is, and truly is, from what I've heard, is remarkable. And I can't fucking wait to get my hands on that because... Mm -hmm. I now playing on PC primarily probably for, you know, three or four years now, having an SSD changes everything. And I fucking love having an SSD. I hate whenever I have something installed on my hard drive and loading it from there, taking like, it's just so much more noticeable where, you know, I'm really excited with this technology that what we're going to see from devs and what they're going to be able to do with this where it may not impede their artistic vision, which we're going to kind of talk about in the next article too. So I don't want to necessarily repeat myself, but you know, it's, it's things like this that really make me excited where you see some of the experiences we had this generation that, you know, man, games like God of war, where it's a single shot experience, which is crazy that it was able to be done on a console at that high fidelity in, you know, in-game cutscene, like in-game engine cutscenes, where they're not going from cinematic to that it's using all the same thing. But we're still experiencing these. Oh, you know, to get into that next room, you have to slide through this crack in the wall type thing, and that's clearly a loading screen. You're just playing through it technically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's things like that that really are going to, I think, be that. It's going to be that jumping point that we see with next gen compared to last gen where I don't think it's going to be as much. I mean, granted, with Unreal Engine 5, we've seen how beautiful things can look in the amount of triangles and uh, geometry that they can get onto objects and do it at such a high rate, especially with the lighting system they have in there. You know, it's going to be more... I don't want to say quality of life things, but it's going on both sides, on both the development side and the consumer side where it's going to be more things that, okay, I'm already playing at 4K, 8K gaming isn't going to be standard anytime soon, it's not going to be achievable anytime soon, though these consoles seem like they're going to be able to upscale to that out of the box, which is great, but the standard of that isn't coming anytime soon, what else can we do? And it's faster load times, higher frame rates, and at the end of the day, it's just going to be more of a PC experience, and if people can get that from the comfort of their couch, I'm all for it. Um, you know, so it, it just makes me excited to see what this is going to look like from both a development side and a consumer side, because I don't think we think about as gamers, the development side as much as we probably should when we're looking at games and, you know, why games take five years to make because fucking developing games is ridiculously hard and people are time constrained. And a lot of that is around technology too. what you can do. Certain engines only allow you to do certain tasks in certain ways and formats and things like that that you know some people okay you're hiring this person to do you know who only knows or is primarily you know working in blender and now they want to come into a studio that primarily uses maya or something like that and those are the only two like 3d modeling programs i really know but just something like that okay that's completely reality is that uh usually their workflow will be like all right i i I modeled this thing out in Blender, and then I got to import it into Maya so that I can do texture mapping, and then I got to put it in some other program, I don't know, Autodesk or whatever, mm-hmm. so that I can do another task. So That's all I know about 3D modeling. Yeah, I, I'm very, like, 
bare bones with that shit. I've done a little bit in Blender, but just knowing, like, point being, like, okay, you're coming into vastly different things where at least with the hardware end of it and your what you're developing around is going to be at least much more straightforward, it sounds like, and much more, okay, we don't have to worry about worrying, like, okay, we have to design this level to include this part here because we need to load in these textures and the player doesn't have to know that and it shouldn't take them out of the experience. Well, we don't have to worry about that now because we have the technology and the loading speeds and things like that, or the data transfer speeds that we're able to do that and not not worry about it. So it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited to get this console generation underway just from a tech standpoint. And somebody who just loves tech outside of video games alone, who's obviously obsessed with gaming. I'm just curious to see how this generation pushes the boundary like really the 360 PS3 generation did with HD gaming. And, you know, we didn't necessarily see that as much this generation. Mm -hmm. So, Adam, let's head into the last news article this week. Xbox Series X games won't be quote-unquote held back by Xbox One support, says Phil Spencer. This comes from Alan Martin over on Tom's Guide. As always, link in the description. Since the very first details of the Xbox Series X started to trickle out, it's been clear that cross-compatibility is at the heart of Microsoft's strategy. Smart delivery will allow games to be played across Xbox One and Xbox Series X, and we've, ar- er, we've, we've even been warned not to expect too many X-only exclusives in the early years. It's a laudable aim, and one that goes some way to making games an affordable hobby something that's doubly important during a likely pandemic-induced recession. But there's an elephant in the room. Doesn't having to code for inferior hardware cramp the Xbox Series X's style? Not according to Xbox Supremo Phil Spencer, who told GamesIndustry.biz that the idea that the Xbox Series X is being held back by the Xbox One is, quote-unquote, a meme that gets created by people who are too caught up in device competition, unquote. Perhaps, unsurprisingly, For the company that brought us 35 years worth of Windows software, Microsoft is looking at the current console market more like the world of PC gaming. Quote, I just look at Windows. It's it's almost certain if the developer is building a Windows version of the game, then the most powerful and highest fidelity version is the PC version. You can even see that with some of our first-party console games going to PC, even from our competitors, that the richest version is the PC version. Yet, the PC ecosystem is the most diverse when it comes to hardware, when you think about the CPUs and GPUs from years ago that are there. Unquote. Spencer made this point more succinctly later in the interview. Quote, The diversity of hardware choice in PC has not been held back the high, not held back the highest fidelity PC games on the market. It's a fair point, although you could also flip that around and say the consoles have held back PC gaming as developers try to make their titles work on the slowest hardware hardware available. In any case, it sets up an integral, er, intriguing, intriguing, come on, Travis, talk, an intriguing contrast between Sony's PS5 and Microsoft's S- Xbox Series X. While Spencer is discussing the need to maintain compatibility between generations, Sony is drawing a line in the sand. Quote, we have always said that we believe in generations, Sony Interactive Entertainment President and CEO Jim Ryan said earlier this year. We believe that when you go to all go to all the trouble of creating a next-gen console, it should include features and benefits that the previous generation does not include. And that, in our view, people should make games that can be the can make the most of those features, unquote. So this has been a worry for some with how Microsoft is kind of approaching next gen, where 
games may not advance as much with the older tech or overpromising, underdelivering delivering on older tech and whatnot. But, you know, Phil says that that's not a worry given, you know, of theirs, really given the PC gaming approach and how that market has thrived with the power of choice and scalability and whatnot, you know. We've touched on it really kind of briefly before, but Adam, does this approach to next-gen accessibility potentially hurt the Series X from how it's mar- being marketed and sold and whatnot? And do you think developers could feel potentially constrained by the limits, you know, the limited last-gen hardware, I should say, to the degree that it could impact their creative and artistic vision for what their project is by, you know, cutting or altering or altering elements just to you know kind of fit into the hardware constraints that are being set forward by xbox so i think and that goes from you know playstation 2 just any next gen console i guess that is also being cross cross generally released if that's even a word i don't know fuck it (laughs) yeah i i think phil already kind of captured it with what he said about like pc games are already developed with multiple levels of fidelity in mind you got to think like we're developing this game and it's got to run on everything between your dad's ThinkPad laptop <laughs> and your gaming rig. Like, but they have more work cut out for them because they have to set up different levels of quality. So whether that's like we need different resolution textures or we need different uh, lighting schemes or whatever. But if you're just doing two generations of consoles it's like you only have two settings in the quality menu of the you know the video settings Mm -hmm. because i think as far as i know most consoles have never really had like quality options on them really outside of yeah like this generation was the first we really saw the if you were playing on the and granted this is the first time we've really seen kind of mid-generational refreshes in terms Mm -hmm. of bumping performance better hardware that's available but the same generation you know with ps4 pro xbox one x but we did see this is the first time we saw like in the settings you can put hey do you want to favor resolution and you know fidelity or do you want to favor performance you want higher frame rates you want stability in those frame Mm -hmm. rates yeah, and so I think it, it's already part of the development pipeline and the process for most outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's really going to cause any problems. Yeah, I I don't either. Um, it always worries me with anything involved, and, and this is more, I guess, on a publishing end that I worry from where you always hear the, the what-ifs or, you know, the, the horror stories of, you know, hey, we had to can this game because... X, Y, and Z, the game became too expensive or, you know, our vision strayed too far from what it originally was. And, you know, I, I, cause video games hands down are, are art. They are an art form. Interactive entertainment of any sort is an art form. And as always, I believe that anybody's creative and artistic vision should never be compromised for what that is just because, oh, okay. It doesn't, you know, move a sales number or something like that, which it is important to a degree, especially if you're, you know, designing a game that is doing X, Y, and Z for, you know, a Madden or something like that. That is built around sales or whatever, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you make something like that. But, you know, I look at a game like The Last of Us Part Two, and I'm so happy something like that exists because of the risks that they took, because of the narrative 
you know, jumps that they made, leaps of faith almost with their community and with their fan base that, you know, hey, this is a story we need to tell and this is, you know, we're going to touch on some sub- subjects. We're going to touch on, you know, uh, trans rights and uh, LGBTQ rights and, you know, how, you know, real stories that are going on in our world right now that, you know, sh- people should be talking about. These are experiences that aren't just, you know, taboo. These are things that are part of everyday life and they just need to be included in these games because representation is important, you know? So, and it's things like that, that it's so integral to the part of, um, you know, what, uh, artistic and creative, you know, uh, fuck, what's a vision I draw a blank there. Um, but you know, that it's so important to that, that, you know, I'm so glad that, there are developers like that or publishers, I should say that support developers like that, that make that happen. And I think we're starting to see that just that change in general in the games industry, that that's becoming less taboo and it's becoming more, you're seeing more big publishers like EA, like, um, you know, like Microsoft, the idea Xbox initiative that we're continuing to see indies be supported and unique stories be supported that, you know, may not, these games may not be told unless they get some, you know, either limelight, whether it's just publicity or it's financial support from these bigger publishers to make that where it's not under a, you know, we're not buying this game. We're not buying the complete rights to it, but you know, Hey, we're going to support you financially. You're going to be under our, you know, uh, the EA, uh, what's the EA one. It's not origins. I don't think I can't remember the, it was, um, a way out was developed under it and, Something like that. I can't remember. Um, but just that you're seeing more of these visions come up. But, you know, I I don't think in general that the tech side of it's going to necessarily hamper that because a lot of experiences already are so used to, okay, we're already being built for this. And the way that Xbox is approaching, at least from we're looking at a third-party standpoint, or a first-party standpoint, I'm sorry, that, okay, we know that the Xbox One is going to be still relevant for at least another two years in terms of Hellblade 2 is going to, I would imagine Hellblade 2 is going to come out within the next year. That's going to come out on Xbox One. It's going to be playable on there. Everything that comes out for the Series X from Microsoft right now, from now until, you know, 2022 or something like that is going to be playable on Xbox One. So that has to be developed in mind. And that's always, I've been more of a fan of that. Hey, develop at the base level for your hardware, you know, the what your most common denominator is going to be for your hardware at the base minimum. And pretty much everyone's going to have, at the basis, just an Xbox One. Or that's what the lowest they could have, the lowest common denominator. So design for that in mind, then build upon that and put in, you know, your 4K high, you know, ultra resolution gra- or uh, textures and stuff like that that can be downloaded in a patch or whatnot. And we've seen that for the most part, but then you get into the thick of things like, you know, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, or something like that. A lot of, a lot of third-party projects that are being developed across such a wide array of games, or wide array of uh, hardware, that, you know, they have to make it for certain, you know, okay, this is the baseline we can grow, go across that works on everything that we are going on, and then we can build upon that. But it's... It is such a, you know, ball of wax, I guess. But to me, I don't think it's going to hurt it that much. Like, I just don't see, I don't see developers completely just, 
having to be like, oh, okay, well, we got to completely scrap this because, you know, it's just not going to work on the Xbox One now, where at least within the first two years, in my opinion, especially with most next-gen game or consoles when they launch, the first, like, launch window-esque games, like the first year or so games, usually don't blow the doors down for the most part. They're usually kind of like, we're dipping a toe in the water type of thing, you know, especially if we're looking at Madden's and annualized sports games and things like that. Half the time it's just, hey, they're going to look flashy. They're not going to be feature full, but they're going to look good. So I don't know. We'll see. I am i don't feel like they're going to. I kind of, you know, align with you on it, but I don't know, man. It's just going to be a really interesting next gen step to see where we go with it. But mm-hmm. Adam, let's head into party chat before we wrap up the episode here. I don't know if you knew, but we're brought back Party Chat. You know Party Chat well, Adam, but putting a little bit of a twist on it now, we're going to propose one question at the end of the episode each week that we want to discuss. Could be as simple as, you know, what's your favorite story beat of game? What have you been playing during quarantine? Or it could be a little more in-depth as, you know, why the negative stigma around gaming still exists, you know. And after answering ourselves, we're going to kick it over to you, the listener, to tweet your responses to the question over on our page, our Twitter page at GPGC podcast. And we'll read some of the responses the following week, like from last week's question, which was, which do you think is more important to the future of Microsoft and their gaming endeavors for the next console generation? A very successful esports title or a successful single player franchise that has multiple sequels within one gen. Uh, one response that stuck out to me from Mike Hudson, who wrote in while they're talking, eh, I can talk. I've had such a rough time talking this episode. Just tongue tied. It's the coffee. I shouldn't have drank the coffee. Um, Mike Hudson says, while they're taking a very PC approach to next gen, I think single player narrative exclusive still remain king of the console arms race as we've seen with the PS4. So a strong single player franchise is much more important than an esports game. I tend to agree with that. Adam, what do you think, man? I think I'd agree with that as well. Yeah, I we definitely have seen We've definitely seen, you know, Sony just knock it out of the park consistently over and over. And it's led to 100 million plus consoles sold. So we can only hope for that success with Xbox Next Generation. So, Adam, let's kick it into this question, this week's question. In the same vein as Marvel's Spider-Man with Sony, if Marvel came to Microsoft to license one of their characters as an Xbox console exclusive, which character would you like to see and which first party studio within Microsoft would you like to see handle its development? That's interesting. Because um, Marvel's the hot ticket right now. I mean, it, comics, comic books, you know, comic nerds like me are just ravel- or, you know, reveling in everything that's going on right now from DC and whatnot. But Marvel's the king right now. Anything Marvel, you know, it's a printing machine. So yeah. if Marvel came to Microsoft and said, hey, we want to give you one of our IP to work with and put it as a console exclusive or, yeah, console, I guess I should say, console exclusive with Xbox and on PC probably too, because it'd be a first party title. What do you think they would want to work with if they had the choice? And who do you think they would want to have handle it? I'm not sure about a developer, but I think a Thor RPG along the lines of like Skyrim or maybe uh, what's who's developing a Norse RPG or not necessarily an RPG. I think Assassin's Creed is going to um, like a more Norse mythology type setting. Yeah, with Valhalla. Yep. Um, 
to see a Thor game made in that style, I think would be really neat. Mm-hmm. The Dark World is like one of the only Marvel movies outside of the Avengers that I've actually like sat down and watched intentionally. And uh, I think that would be a cool setting for a game. Wait, you've barely seen any of the Marvel movies? I've seen like maybe only a handful of everything that's like... Well, that's going to do it for our episode this week, folks. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. How dare you? Dude, I'll give you my Disney Plus login. You got to... You and you and your girl need to sit down and watch it and watch through some of them and ah oh my god I can't believe that. Looks on you, I'm just gonna watch the Mandalorian. Ha ha ha. Yeah, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain that much either because that's fucking fantastic too. So I've been watching like one episode every time I visit my parents, which is only every like two or three weeks at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very behind on that. Oh god, it's so good, it's so good. Um, but no, that's that's a great idea. Um, I've never really thought about Thor that much because I love how and granted you not being, I guess, as balls deep into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as I am, but I've really enjoyed the transformation of Thor's character that we've seen in Marvel movies recently. So, you know, I I think I think his character provides a lot of versatility compared to a lot of the characters in the main stable that we've seen of Marvel characters in the limelight of pop culture recently. But yeah, um, you know the the going one that I've heard with a lot of people are oh man i'd love to see i'd love to see a uh you know wolverine game made and i'd love to mm. see the wolf like the wolverine character handled by you know people throwing out the initiative or what if that's their game that they're working on or yada yada that's yeah. cool you know i would totally be down for that whatever they're doing i'd love to see a big scale project but one that i thought of that i really think would be cool i'd love to see double fine you know, creators of developers of Psychonauts and that very cartoony esque platforming act, action adventure game of years, uh, you know, years ago. But, you know, have that built in, you know, I, I'd love to see one what Psychonauts 2 is going to be like now that they have that Microsoft money that after, you know, that game being in development already before Microsoft bought them, but bringing that in and them reworking stuff. And Tim Schafer's just a fucking genius as it is already. So. I would like to see them tackle Ant-Man and Ant-Man's a really weird character because I never really gravitated towards him, whether it's me as a comic fan or me as a movie fan, but the movies did wear on me that I'm like, fuck. Well, one Paul Rudd can't fucking do anything wrong. He could like, you know, spit in his hand and like wipe it on the camera and stuff. I'd be like, fuck, give him an Oscar, man. Like (laughs) my God, like he could just like, fart into a tube and i'd be like fuck give it the oscar for best score man like one of the more lighthearted, like a little bit less serious and more (laughs) kind of out there marvel heroes so definitely seems like it'd be fertile ground for a developer like double fine to take and run with Mm -hmm. just that very odd worldy like flashy colors and very cartoony art style that they're known for with psychonauts um you know i'd love to see an ant-man game in that style where it's you know if you're playing or you're you know watching ant-man or you're playing involved with ant-man in general whether you're reading the comic or whatnot like that you obviously comparative to a lot of the marvel heroes or just comic book heroes in general you're throwing reality out the window you you just you know okay if you're reading this you're buying into whatever they're telling you the world is so you know i'd love to see a developer like that who's so creative and so unique with their presentation and their mechanics and things like that 
I'd love to see them take on something like an Ant-Man or a character like that, but I guess specifically for this question, Ant-Man, so. Well, now it's time for you to answer that, listeners. Beautiful listeners. Over on Twitter, at GPGC Podcast, send us over your responses. We want to hear from you what you think should be a Marvel game. If Marvel came to Microsoft to license out one of their characters as an Xbox console exclusive, what character would you want? And who do you want them developing it? You know, who do you want? It could be, hell, it could be 343 if you really want them to. I doubt that'd be something that they'd take on right now. They got enough, you know, juju going on with Halo right now. So, but any one of the now like 15 first party studios and probably more coming with Xbox that who could tackle it. But Adam, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode one. Thank you so much for coming back onto the show. You know, you're always welcome on here and I'm sure you will be back on, you know, again, but um, you know, it's great to have you back on here. You provide such a cool perspective from having somebody who has been kind of on the front line, quote unquote, with developing your own games and stuff before. I think it provides a really cool, you know, non-media approach that usually I, somebody who has wrote about Xbox for websites and covered now, you know, in a media, I guess, centric role with Xbox, somebody who kind of gives that yin to yang type approach. Um, so, and you just being one of my closest friends, you know, I really appreciate you coming on here, giving your insight for that, but why don't you pimp where people can find you at on the interwebs? Talk about everything we talked about today. So happy to be back. You can find me on the interwebs on Twitter at AC underscore Marshy. That's AC underscore M-A-R-S-H-Y. And as always, I am your host, Travis White, a.k.a. Travis on most internet platforms, including Twitter at Travis underscore. That's T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S underscore. You can also find me streaming time to time. Once again, I started streaming again over on Twitch.tv slash Travis underscore, same as Twitter. I've been doing... I think my tentative schedule is going to be Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. May throw in a stream tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see how much work I have and whatnot. I don't know. This is just me thinking out loud at this point. But uh, obviously with us recording on Wednesday this week, uh, the schedule is being a little shifted around. But looking at like Monday, Wednesday, Saturdays for right now, at least while I'm working from home. Um, but you can also, if you want to play some games with me, you can do so over on Xbox Live or really any uh, platform at this point as Travelis, just regular Travelis, T-R-A-V-L-E-S-S. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been your newest episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversations around them. Damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So be sure to subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz, wherever you get a podcast at. And follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show and Vigi Games alike. And with that being said, thank you so much for listening, sharing, and being a part of our growing community. Game on. Wash your fucking hands. Wear a mask, please. Black Lives Matter. And we will see you next week.